Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the Word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. We are going to be diving into the book of James in the coming weeks. We'll we'll probably be in this series through March. Um, We'll see where it goes beyond that. Um, And I just want to encourage you guys as we get into this, um, to, to spend some time on your own just absorbing the words of this book. Read through it. Um, we're going to average about um, one chapter every couple of weeks. So we'll spend this Sunday and next Sunday in chapter one. And, and just take your time absorbing the book. And um, there's power in just like even the repetition of like going through something over and over again, inviting the Lord to give you insight. Ask him to reveal himself to you. God, who are you? What, what areas of your character do you want to highlight? Lord, there are things you're speaking to me in this present moment um, where you want to grow me or challenge me or encourage me. Lord, what do, you, what do you want to say and do in my life? And Lord, how might you use this through my life to have an impact in my family and the world around me? And so invite him to come and do that. So I want to give you just kind of a brief sense of this book. Um, the book of James, you know, probably the James in the Bible that we're the most familiar with is James, the brother of John, right? The, the disciples of Jesus, the, the, the sons of thunder, the fishermen. Um, but that is not this particular James. Um, the James that wrote this book is the half-brother of Jesus, all right, so Mary and Joseph's son, James. Um, you can get a glimpse of that in Matthew 13, verse, verse 55, and Mark 6, verse 3. There's a few places where I'll just reference where you can check things out later um, if you are not quick to write those notes down or I talk too fast. These are in my notes later. You can check it out. But James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he becomes a key leader in the church in Jerusalem. In fact, we see a couple of key moments where he brought some direction, some leadership, some wisdom to the church in key moments, both in Acts chapter 15, verses 13 through 21, and Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 20. Now, so far you might go, well, cool, this isn't surprising, right? He's Jesus' brother. Uh, he becomes a leader in the church. Of course, that makes sense. But, but guys, actually, the gospels make it pretty clear James did not initially believe in Jesus, Like he struggled with, wait a minute, like I grew up with that kid. (laughs) You know, we even see a sense of like Jesus wasn't kind of welcomed in his hometown of Nazareth. Um, The the siblings of Jesus struggled with like, is he... Is he really the savior? Is he really the that was, a, that was a challenge for them. And so we get an example of that in John's gospel, chapter seven, verse five, um, where it just states clearly his brothers did not yet believe in him. So they were struggling with that. Um, and the turning point appears to be, the turning point appears to be when he met the risen Jesus. I think it's funny that's how we ended worship this morning just the revelation of Jesus. That was the turning point for James. He saw his brother risen from the grave and it was like, oh, I get it now. I see who you are. I understand who you are. Um, it's pretty neat. Um, Paul records kind of the breakdown of Jesus' resurrection and began to appear to people. Um, and it mentions James by name in 1 Corinthians 15 verses four through seven. And so that was the turning point. 
Um, and so I love this. When James opens up his book, I love how he identifies himself. I want you just to see this brief introduction when he explains who he is. And so this, this book, we call it a book. It's a letter that he wrote. And he just says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. He doesn't use the fact that he's got some blood relation to Jesus to qualify him. He's not wearing like brother badge, right? Jesus is my brother, so that's what qualifies me. He says, no, no, no. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody in here have a sibling or several of them? Then you can maybe appreciate the leap it would take for James to call his sibling, my Lord, the Messiah of the world, and I am his servant. Whoa. Uh, That doesn't take place amongst the siblings in my household, that's for sure. Um, Obviously, Messiah should never apply, but even just like servant is like hard to come by um, amongst the kiddos in our house. So, it's, it's powerful, but listen, I, that, should, that should give us both a warning and an encouragement at the outset, okay? A warning and an encouragement. Why do I say a warning? Well, the warning is this. It's possible to be around the family of God and not truly understand who Jesus is. It's possible to grow up in church, to be a part of cultural Christianity, to, to think you're a Christian because, well, my parents were and we've gone to that church forever and, and just sort of assume like because of just the atmosphere that I'm in that I truly know Jesus and understand who he is. And so that, that should be a warning for us. Like it's possible to be around the family of God and not truly know him. That said, it's also an encouragement that no matter the circumstances of life or what our past experience has been, what's needed is available. And that is to experience the resurrected Christ for ourselves. We can know Jesus personally. And I get a lot of encouragement from James. Like he struggled with like grappling through the doubts of, could this be real? Could he really be that? And he had an encounter with the risen Christ and it changed his life and it changed his perspective. And so that's our encouragement, that we would all have an encounter with the risen Christ. So I wanna pray for us, and then we're gonna jump into kind of the meat of the first part of chapter one here. Um, We're gonna be talking about, um, the title of the whole series is Steadfast, and we're gonna talk this morning really specifically about, about that, about why that's our need, We're going to talk about our obstacles to being steadfast, and we're going to talk about our hope. How can we become people who are steadfast in our faith? So let's pray. Well, Jesus, we we come before you, and we choose to adopt the language of your brother. We come before you as our Lord. We submit ourselves to you. We thank you that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. We thank you for your life on this earth, We thank you for your sacrificial death. And Jesus, we thank you for resurrection life, that you rose again, that you live eternally. And Jesus, that we have hope and redemption in you. And so, Lord, our prayer is that as we we hear your brother's words, as we spend time in this letter from him, Jesus, that, that we would see you 
Father, that we would see you, Holy Spirit, that we would recognize your activity, that we would, God, we would see you for who you are. Lord, before our even first step to learn how we might need to grow, Lord, that we would, we would see you and your great love for us, you as our firm foundation, you as the ultimate one who is steadfast. And Jesus, that we would hear your call and your invitation for us to grow into maturity. God, I, I, at the outset, I pray against any part of us that would hear this in a way that would be legalistic or feel like a bunch of obligations, but God, we would hear an invitation to walk with you and to grow and to experience wholeness, completeness, and maturity. God, that is so needed in this age. God, would you do that miraculous work in our hearts? Be our teacher and our guide. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's jump right into this. We're going to start by reading the first four verses together um, as we talk about our need. So again, James introduces himself. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Oh, it's going to be one of those kind of letters. <laughs> For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. So I already kind of introduced you to who James is, but he's, he's writing to these early believers, Jewish believers, like primarily what was birthed in Jerusalem were Jewish believers. Paul and others, Peter and others began to expand out to the Gentiles. But James was like right there leading in, in that starting place, like where Pentecost took place, right there in Jerusalem. And after a pretty short period of time, the church in Jerusalem especially began to face intense persecution. You go back and read, especially like Acts chapter 7, Stephen gets stoned. And right on the heels of that, the very first verse in Acts chapter 8 tells us that the church began to get dispersed from that. They began to leave into more of the outskirts. Um, in fact, the Lord actually used that persecution so that the gospel would spread to Judea and Samaria, the things Jesus had told them to do. But they, the church in Jerusalem faced that intense persecution. And so he's writing to encourage his brothers and sisters in the faith who've left home. They're displaced. They're being hunted down, arrested, even killed. And so he's writing to encourage them in the midst of the difficulty they are facing. Now, thank God that's not the condition we find ourselves in here, at least in the church in America. I don't know if you realize this or not. We have brothers and sisters around the world right now who are in similar circumstances, but we're, we're currently not. That doesn't mean we don't face difficulty though. We face trials, we face trouble, we face difficulty. But listen, I... I fear, I think one of the reasons why we need this steadfastness that James is encouraging is because what our typical reaction is when things get difficult. I want to give you a few that just I've observed. I think one of the tendencies within our own culture when we face trials of various kinds, as James says, is we pray to avoid them 
or for them to end as quickly as possible. I mean, that's my first prayer, right? Jesus, make this stop. (laughs) End it. Get me out of this. We pray to avoid them. I'm not saying that's a wrong prayer, but like, that's like our primary prayer. Surely he doesn't want me to ever face difficulty or trouble or hard circumstances. So it must be his will to get me out of this. And so that's our first prayer is to avoid or bring them to an end as quickly as possible. Um, Another one of our reactions, we view trials of various kinds as punishment from God. There's, There's whole sections of our faith that like basically preach, if you're facing difficulty, it's your fault for some failure on your part. It's punishment. Now, listen, I do believe there are consequences when, when we live a life apart from Christ. When I choose to, to base my life in something other, I believe there are consequences for that. But we like jump to this conclusion of just like, I'm being punished by God. That's what these trials are. It's punishment from him. Or they're seen as evidence of his absence or neglect in your life. If I'm going through difficulty, he just, he just must be distant from me. He's not with me. He doesn't see, doesn't care. I feel like I'm facing this alone. I can feel like evidence of his absence or neglect, which couldn't be further from the truth. Like he's promised to never leave us, never forsake us. There's nowhere we can go from his presence. And ultimately, a lot of times, like when we face trials, we view it as like a knock against God's character. Like if God is good, why would he let this happen to me? And for some, like going to the furthest point of even questioning his very existence. Now, is it just me or has anybody else seen evidence of this stuff around us or maybe in our own hearts and lives? Like I've wrestled with this stuff and I've definitely watched other believers wrestle with it. In our culture, we rarely go through trials thinking what's needed right now is faith so I can grow and become more steadfast. What's rarely recognized in our culture is that God might be wanting to work right through this circumstance in order to grow me, in order to refine me. That the very purpose of the struggles we face are to produce something, some strength, some maturity, some completeness. That's what he's after. I want to give you a couple of, you know, images of a modern Christian. Like one, one particular image, especially when we're trying to, to be mature, is a lot of us can fall into a place where we're just putting on the false front. Like I've got to show up and act like I've got it all together. Like Jesus is good and I'm good and we're going to be fine. And like we just put on this false front like everything is all right. And then the church gets knocked for being full of hypocrites, right? When, when the true colors are revealed. Like, that's a huge problem. Like, like, we see that maybe we're called to maturity, and so we try to put on this face, this exterior that says, I'm solid, I'm good, life is good, I'm a faithful follower of Jesus. And like, man, that's broken. If we're trying to maintain some image, and then, then we're left kind of on our own devices trying to live that out. And like, we fall short, and we let others down, and But then I think a lot of times the overcorrection is like we embrace the grace of God, which we should, but it's like this messy grace where it's almost an okay to never grow or mature. 
And so it's like we, the way we counteract that falsehood is we just go, well, we're all just messy and life's hard and, you know, and we just sort of embrace never growing past any of our struggles. And grace sort of just whitewashes the need to grow or mature. Listen, by God's grace, there's mercy when we're struggling. There's a fresh start. But listen, the same grace that forgives us when we struggle is the same grace that empowers us to grow, to set us free from those struggles, to move to maturity. And so like what's needed is not just this, let me try to do the stuff. Let me try to fulfill just like this legalistic set of rules, you know, to put forward that like I'm being mature or to like let it all go and just life's messy and I'm a mess and oh well. It's like, no, there's another way that through the trials and the difficulties of this life, Jesus is wanting to do something in us. He's wanting us to grow into true maturity. A real person with real struggles, like I'm not called to be perfect. He just, he wants to grow me and strengthen me. This picture that's given here when he describes steadfastness in its full effect in verse four, like this is meant to be a source of encouragement, not like an unrealistic goal. You know, he uses words like perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If you're like me, if I, if I read those just through my normal set of lenses, I'm like, well, I've already failed. Like, I'm not steadfast. I'm not perfect, that is for sure. And my wife, if she was in the room, would say yes and amen. And my kids, if they found some boldness, might say the same thing. Like, that ain't perfect. I'm not gonna be, right? So I, I read those words, it's like, that doesn't describe me. I wanna give you a sense of what James is really saying here. What this, what this steadfastness is meant to produce. Perfect, that word perfect. It means fully developed. In fact, that word is used to mean coming of age. It means maturity. It doesn't mean perfection. It means maturity. Growing into maturity. Friends, there is a need in the Christian church of our day in America for some maturity, for some steadfastness. There is far too much of a pull when things are difficult to waver to struggle, to abandon hope, to throw up our hands exasperated. And there's hungry people in our culture looking for answers. At the very same time that generations are beginning to walk away from the church, when studies are done or questions are asked in our culture, the, there is a hunger, a growing hunger for spirituality. People are looking for something of substance and significance. And friends, they ought to be able to look to the church to get hope. Not further reasons to like abandon all hope. They should see imperfect people, but people who are growing into maturity, who love well. We need mothers and fathers of the faith. We need grandfathers and grandmothers of the faith. We need something to aspire to. And so that's what James is saying here is he's encouraging them. Hey guys, in all that you're facing, just know that in the midst of how hard things are, what God wants to do is he wants to grow you in steadfastness so that you may not be perfect the way we think of it, but you may be mature, fully developed. Another word he uses is complete. It means complete in all parts. 
in no part being lacking or unsound, but complete. It's wholeness. Um, this is a really random reference. And I don't even know if many people saw the movie, but one of those M. Night Shyamalan movies, I, I don't even know if I'm saying his name right. Um, but one, one of his movies, they're all kind of weird, but um, there's this movie called Lady in the Water. I don't know if you ever saw that, but there's this one like character in this movie. And this is this dude who works out and he only works out his right arm. It's like the weirdest thing. And so he's like in the movie, he's like lifting weights like this on his arms, just like huge and overdeveloped. And the other, the other side is like shriveled up and like useless. I have no idea why he was like that in the movie. I really didn't ever understand what was happening in that movie. But it, uh, the image stood out to me of just this guy who just had this like one arm that was just like huge. And like as weird as that imagery is, like what the, what the church needs is all of the parts, healthy, functioning, and growing into wholeness and maturity. Like, not only does the Lord want to grow me in all the areas and facets of my life personally, but like his body, the church, he wants all of us growing and finding our proper place within the body. And the church would benefit so much from that. So much of, of Christianity in our day, it's like we've, we've built it around people and personalities. It's like, there's that church over there with that guy who speaks really well or that gal who sings really well. And we build the whole thing around one or two people's like talents or abilities or gifting. And we celebrate that. And then we're devastated when they blow it and it falls apart. And it's like, well, it's a bummer that maybe they didn't walk in maturity, but it's a bummer in the first place that we hung the whole church on that one person. We need the body to be the body. Like I meet people all the time that are coming into our church, even people who've been here for a while, and I get what they're saying when they say this, but they'll, they might even be saying something complimentary and they'll say, your church. It's like, dude, this ain't my church. This is Jesus' church. And by the way, if you're here and a part of this body, it's your church. It's your church. And so what's needed is, is growth and maturity and strength amongst the whole body. That's what's needed. And so then what are the results of that? You lack nothing. You'll have what you need. He's given us himself and his presence and he's given us each other. And so that's what this is about. Not some false standard of perfection, but growing in maturity and completeness and wholeness. Friends, our need is for steadfastness. So how do we get there? That need, that growth into becoming people who are steadfast in our faith, growing into a community that is steadfast and mature in our faith, the way we get there is through the gift of wisdom. Here we go, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him or her. That's the need. The need to grow in steadfastness, like the way we get there isn't by avoiding difficulty, avoiding pain, getting out of trials and troubles. In fact, the, the beauty of the completeness Jesus wants to give us is that it will last in all circumstances. When life is good, I'm steadfast and faithful in Jesus instead of like neglecting and compromising. When life is hard, he'll see me through it because I've been, I've been rooted and grounded in Christ. 
And so the way I get there is not the perfect exact circumstances happening around me in like a little bubble. And then that's how I grow and mature. Like, it's not like a greenhouse where we just sit completely protected and like the perfect circumstances help us grow. That's not it. The way we're going to grow and mature is in the midst of whatever circumstances we're facing, God gives us wisdom to navigate those circumstances. And the results of utilizing that wisdom he gives us is that we'll grow in maturity. Wisdom is different than knowledge. It's different than knowledge. It involves knowledge. Wisdom is properly applied knowledge. I've received the information. I understand how to use it, or at least I'm working with it enough so I can grow an understanding of how to use it. And I intend on doing something with it. I'm taking this thing I've learned and I'm applying it right where I am. And I'm growing as a result. I've, I've used the example of like the home project we've been doing at various times in, in teaching recently. Like we've been redoing our kitchen. It feels like forever. We're almost there. We're right at the end of the line. Um, but there was a lot of knowledge I did not have when we started this kitchen remodel. And frankly, there's still quite a bit I don't have. Um, but I've gained some wisdom through the experience of like learning from friends of mine who've come and taught me some things. Um, I found one of the good uses of YouTube. Like I can watch other people who are experts at repairing things, plumbing, whatever, and like learn ideas. And, and like I gained something from watching those videos, but what really was the turning point was taking them and going, okay, now I'm right here doing this thing and I'm putting this together. And I'm also realizing what's difficult about putting this together. And I'm realizing, I thought I knew what I was doing with this plumbing until me and my wife are standing there getting sprayed in the face with water in a panic going, we gotta hurry up and patch this hole because we're gonna flood our kitchen. Like that was a real moment in time that happened. Um, but wisdom was gained through the experience of learning the knowledge and using it, using it. I can watch HGTV all day and see other people doing remodels, but if that's just entertainment and I'm not applying it, that's not wisdom, it's knowledge. But wisdom is I've taken that information, I've put it into practice, I'm applying it. Does that make sense? And so one of the ways I want to encourage you to, to, to look at the book of James is it's, it's like a New Testament Proverbs. It's just a lot of good, practical wisdom that speaks to specific situations and circumstances we find ourselves in and how we can walk that out as people of God, as people of faith. So it's good, practical wisdom. Another thing I want to encourage you to do, if, if you really watch this and like if you want a little extra study, because, you know, you spend two and a half months in a book that's five chapters, you're like, Jake, how many times do you think we're going to read through this in, you know, two and a half months? I would encourage you to read through the Sermon on the Mount as well. And you'll see how much James was impacted by that core teaching of Jesus and how he's now taking it and giving us really specific ways that we can use it. Like it's, it's almost fun to watch. I'll probably highlight a few along the way, but I almost want to encourage you to do your own digging on that. And watch how chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew relate to what James is talking about in his letter to us. And so wisdom. So that's, that's our need. That's the church's need. I hope you see that. I realize this is just my own brief little words to this, but like, this is needed, guys, in the church. Our need is to be steadfast. 
And we need wisdom to help us get there, and God gives it. So I'm going to cover some things that are huge, and I'm going to be brief about them, but I want you to know these are things that we will unpack as we go further into this series. But James gives us some examples of the obstacles that we face in growing into steadfastness and maturity. Now, he also means for these obstacles to be opportunities that we grow through. But they're obstacles that often cause us to stop in our growth. And so I wanna give you these, there's four of them. So this is point number two is our obstacles and there's four of them. The first he's already mentioned, it's trials. Um, I'm gonna read verse two again and then also he, he brings it up again in verse 12. James 1, 2 and then verse 12. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. See, trials are meant to be opportunities to grow, but for many of us, they derail us. It's been one of the hardest things to watch just as a pastor is watching people whose whose walk with the Lord, whose connection into healthy church community, like it's so easy to drift away from those things when trials come, when it gets hard. And, you know, I don't want to do a whole thing on this right now, but I, I do believe that there are moments and circumstances where it's time for a change, like you're in a really unhealthy environment and there's time for a change. But I think far too often we're using the, the struggles and failures of other people or difficult circumstances we find ourselves in to just abandon the church. And I've watched many who this, the stepping stone is, well, I abandoned the church because I can't trust people and how quickly they go from abandoning the church to abandoning their faith in Christ as a result. It's happening a lot and it's devastating to see. And the very trials and difficulties that God wants to use to grow us, they're often derailing us. And so we need to be aware that's a real obstacle that we face. Number two, I almost feel like this goes hand in hand with trials is doubts. Like doubts creep in when things get difficult. And so the second is doubts and he addresses that. Uh, James 1, verses 6 through 8. Um, he's, just to give you context, he's coming right off of talking about asking for wisdom here. And he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, I want to be clear here. There there's a time for wrestling in doubts and struggles. That's a real thing that we all face. The issue is we've got to learn to doubt the right things and stop doubting the one we can rely on. Like we're meant to question ourselves. (laughs) Like sometimes I need to doubt my own wisdom and judgment. And that's why I need outside counsel. It's why I need the word of God. Like I can't just rely on my own instincts all the time. I'm going to blow it. I'm meant to doubt what I see happening out in the world around me. Like people are getting it wrong out there. Like there's, there are times to doubt, to question, to wonder, but like, man, God is meant to be our anchor. And so instead of the questioning the things we should, like my own wisdom and perspective, you know, the inherent challenges of life among imperfect people, the wisdom of the age, we don't 
doubt those things, we question the very one who's meant to be our anchor. Like the waves are going to come, but he's meant to be our anchor that holds us. And we've got to learn to go, God, I, I can question, like, I don't understand what's happening. I don't know why I'm in this position. I don't understand what's happening in this difficult relationship or these hard circumstances I find myself in. But Jesus, I'm holding on to you. I'm holding on to you. And whatever else is going on, you're my anchor. I'm trusting you. I'm holding on to you. He says, you want to receive help in time of trouble? Hold on to him. Hold on to him. The enemy would love to encourage us, to direct us away from him when things get difficult. That's the very time we need to run to him, that he would be our anchor in the storm. And so be aware of doubts, man. They come, but what, what happens when they come? Do I turn towards him as my source for help in time of trouble? Or do my doubts cause me to run away from him and question him? Trials, doubts. Um, the next one I'm just calling various circumstances. James 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Guys, if the enemy can't derail us when there's trials, if he can't get us off track with our doubts, then he'll just simply try to distract us with other pursuits. Whether it's my struggles when life is hard and so I just kind of turn to figure out how I'm gonna get through this or when life is good and easy, I just kind of coast and rest in that. I pursue like the good American life that this world has to offer. This isn't meant to be a knock against like doing well and being successful in business or something. It's about where's our focus and our aim. He'll distract us if he can. But in fact, what, what should happen is when my circumstances are hard, I thank God that he's present and with me in them. When things are going well and there's a period of like rest and provision, not losing sight of the fact like, Lord, you've done this. You've provided. You've get, and Lord, you could take this away in an instant. I'm not taking this to my grave anyways. You're my treasure. You're my inheritance. I trust in you. Number four, temptations. Temptations. James 1, 13 through 16. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Friends, this is a big one. We don't understand the true nature and role of desires and temptation. In fact, a lot of what's happening in our culture is we are celebrating our desires as an indicator of our true selves. I'm gonna say that again. We are celebrating our desires as indicators of our true selves. 
and it's ripping off the masses. We're being sold a lie. We're believing that a desire means that's an inherent true thing about me and I should act upon that. Which by the way, notice what James says. He doesn't say the desire itself is sin. We shouldn't be surprised that there are certain people drawn to certain desires that are unhealthy because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're broken people in a broken world. We have a sin nature. Some of us have certain propensities or or drawings to other ones, but we all have those struggles. And what happens is temptation comes not from God. It comes from my own desires. But when I act on those and when we encourage others to act on them and embrace them, it leads to sin. And where does sin always lead? Death. It doesn't lead to satisfaction. It doesn't lead to discovering your true self. It leads to death. And no wonder a a culture that is just so taught to like embrace freedoms and be who you want to be and do what you want to do is radically depressed. We've never been more depressed. We're depressed. We're discouraged. We're dissatisfied. The solution is not going to be found by finding my true self based on my desires. Notice what the turning point was for James. He discovered Jesus and that was the turning point. That's who I am. I belong to him. He's my Lord. He's my savior. I've given my life to him. And in finding Christ, we find ourselves. I know I'm hitting all of these quickly. We'll unpack them more as we go, but like these are real obstacles that we face personally and that, that writ large, the church is facing and our culture is facing in America. Trials, doubts, just getting wrapped up in other pursuits and ultimately temptation and desire. And so he tells us, don't be deceived. Recognize what's happening. I wanna wrap up with some, some good news. So if our need is steadfast maturity and our obstacles are many and varied, if you're like me, I often feel like I just bounce from one of those obstacles to the next. (laughs) The good news is, is we have hope. Verse 17. Remember, he's coming off of saying God doesn't tempt us. And now he says, instead, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What's he saying about God? He's steady and consistent and sure. What's he saying about God? He's steadfast. He's steadfast. He's what I can count on. My hope to gain any sort of wisdom and grow and become steadfast is not rooted in my ability to get there. In fact, he told us back when we read about him giving us wisdom that he gives without reproach. Doesn't matter my level of intellectual ability. It doesn't matter my past experiences. God generously gives wisdom. Any chance that we have to grow and become steadfast and mature and complete and walk in wholeness and health, it's rooted in the fact that we can count on him. He's the one who's faithful. He's the one 
who's unchanging. He's the one that gives us light when we're trying to grope our way through the dark and figure out what to do and where to go. He's our hope. And so friends, I just want to encourage you. I I do want all of us to embrace, like what are areas the Lord might be calling us to grow in? What are areas where we can learn and apply some wisdom in our lives and in our relationships as we go into this series? But friends, we, we can't fall into the trap of thinking, this is a bunch of stuff I gotta do. I'm being called into a living relationship with a God who loves me. And for my benefit, and for the benefit of people around me, in my life, in the church, in my community, he wants to grow me into fullness, wholeness, completeness. And I'm gonna find that in him. And any wisdom or advice he gives me is not meant to be advice where he goes, hey, go do that, good luck out there. But that he's actually with me and he's in me and he's helping me apply that very wisdom in my life. I wanna read this one more time. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I've talked a lot about the the struggles we face along the way and the obstacles, but I wanna highlight some things that James has told us in all these passages that we receive from God, because he's the point, he's the one. So I'm just gonna mention these and you you can unpack them later. But verse five, he generously, gives wisdom. Verse six, we have access to the gifts he gives through faith. And how do we get faith? From him. It's a gift from him. It's not mustering up our own faith. It's like God, he gives us the gift of faith. So he gives generously wisdom. He gives us access to his gifts through faith. Verse six. Verse 12, he's offered us an eternal promise, the crown of life. He's telling us right from the outset, you're going to make it. As hard as these obstacles might be, you're gonna make it. And you're not just gonna survive, you're gonna thrive. My offer is abundant life now, eternal life forever. The crown of life, verse 12. Verse 13, friends, he's not gonna tempt us. When I'm going through trials, troubles, tribulations, those aren't him trying to mess with me or manipulate me. It's the consequences of living in a broken world. What he promises is to be present with me in it. And so he's not tempting me. He's gonna help me through. He's gonna provide the way through, the way out. He's with me. In fact, what else do we get from him? All good and perfect gifts are from above. He gives light. He gives light. That's no small thing. There's so many times in my life and in Amy I's life, we're just trying to figure out, God, what do we do? What do we do in this circumstance, in this situation? It, it a lot of times feels like we're just kind of groping around in the dark trying to figure out what to do. But he's light and he's the source of light. And even if he, all he gives us is that little lamp that lights our path, you know, just for that next step, well, good, that's teaching me to rely on him one step at a time. And so he lights our path. And then finally, he gives truth. He gives truth. I love this. I want to wrap up with verses 17 and 18. Here's what God does for us. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. He gives us truth in order to bring us forth into who he's calling us to be, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. A first fruits. He's calling us, his people, into this place of steadfast maturity for our own benefit, but for the great need that's around us. Andrew came up to me during worship and just, he said he had this word picture from the Lord kind of throughout the morning. And he goes, he goes, I just saw this picture and there was like this huge valley and there's just all these people living in this dark valley. And then there were these mountaintops and he goes, well, as I was seeing the mountaintops, I was seeing like God's people, like his church. And this wasn't just Grace Chapel, although we're part of it, but like he's seeing God's people up on these mountaintops. And he said they were shining like a light of hope so that the people in the valley could see the place to go and the path forward. And I was like, bro, that's what this is about. That's what this is about. This world needs hope and it needs light and the solution is Christ and we're to be his representatives in the world. And so may we grow in maturity. Yes, for our own benefit, he loves us that much that we could be whole and complete. But for the benefit of those around us, our homes, this church body, and our local community. He's steadfast. And by his grace, he's calling us to be steadfast too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the hope that you offer us. Thank you for the life that we have in you. Thank you that you give generously. God, that you're not just kicking us out of the house and saying, go grow up but you're inviting us into your home, into the life that we have in you, that we may be rooted and grounded in you, Jesus, established in you, that we can grow into wholeness, completeness, maturity. God, would you do this work in our lives? God, would it, would it penetrate our homes, our jobs, our community, this church body? God, thank you that you are the faithful, steadfast one. And Jesus, thank you that your presence in our lives, our participation and cooperation with what you want to do in us and through us will grow us into maturity. We need your help with this. We recognize the obstacles that we face regularly. God, by your grace, may we navigate those obstacles and grow into who you're calling us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.